discussing the ideas, the challenges, and the technology of the cryptoconomy. This is a Cryptoconomy Chat. All right, guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I told you I had a fun one for you today. We have Daniel Goldman on the show today. Um, he is the author of the um, Verge Hack Explained and Let's Do the Time Warp Again, Verge Hack Part 2, both of which you have heard on this podcast. And also, he is CTO of Abacus, um, which is where you can find, you can actually find on their blog, the two articles in question. And that is at blog.theabacus.io. Um, it's called the, the Abacus Crypto Journal. But um, we will go over some of these other details in the actual interview, um, and uh, I'll have a little bit to uh, follow up at the end. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into a crypto economy chat with Daniel Goldman. Hello, Daniel. How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's great to finally meet you. Yes. Yes, indeed. Same here. I got a, um, just a heads up. I got some dogs in the back, and this is a first-time test of all this stuff, so hopefully it all goes smoothly. But um, No worries. It is no up worries. in the I'm still I'm... I'm still using trial software to test gotcha. this stuff out. So, <laughs> Not an issue, and I'm fond of dogs, so that's quite good. all right. Good. Their, yeah. their beautiful singing may be in the background. Okay. <laughs> So, how's it going? Going well, going, going well. well. Um, yeah, I've uh, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a crazy time um, yeah. in terms of uh, as as it generally is being in the sort of cryptocurrency space. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, particularly these past few weeks and even months, I would say. Yeah. So, just trying to kind of figure out our next steps, things like that. Gotcha. Next steps with uh, what specifically is this with your stuff with the uh, crypto abacus? Or the Abacus Crypto Journal, or uh, yeah, and sort of, um, um, sort of with Abacus in general, there's sort mm -hmm. of a number of potential things on the table. So just kind of figuring out where to go with all this. Cool. Uh, tell yeah. me, tell me, kind of more about that. Like, what is this? Because I've only, it was only when I saw your article that I stumbled mm -hmm. upon the Abacus Crypto Journal. What's your involvement? The history, all that. Like, tell me more about it because it looks really cool. I've been using it a lot for you know digging into stuff. And of course, I've read both of your articles here on the um, podcast about Verge. So, uh huh. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, we I'm the uh, I'm the CTO for Abacus. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the co-founders as well. Um, we've been going for uh, well, I've been involved for about a year, um, uh, roughly speaking, maybe a little longer, depending on sort of where you start. Um, we first got in the space. The first thing we were doing was sort of um, we we're kind of developing a blockchain analytics tools. Okay. Um, uh, particularly with Bitcoin, the sort of um, Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchain data, uh, just running data analysis, figuring out various trends and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of we pivoted away from that because basically there were a lot of other people in the space doing similar things that kind of had a head start. They had more firepower already, things yeah. like that. Um, but it was a good learning experience, certainly. Um, and that was fun to sort of uh, mess around with all that data. It's sort of like a data scientist's dream to just have all of this data available. Um, it's pretty amazing. It's yeah. all public. Um, um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, since then, we've sort of been focusing on, uh, we do advisory and consulting um, okay. uh, for projects sort of in the cryptocurrency world, the blockchain tech world. Um, so whether that's companies, you know, building infrastructure around cryptocurrency, um, wanting to incorporate blockchain tech into their product one way or another, uh, wanting to do ICOs, although there are fewer and fewer, fewer of those <laughs> as we get on, um, which we can get into. Thankfully. Um, <laughs> thankfully, yeah, you know what, I, I am with you on that. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so that's sort of one level of what we do. Um, we also, um, some of this involvement involves some kind of hands-on tech involvement. I'm a software developer, so um, that's kind of my background and where I come at this from. Um, so yeah, as CTO, it's sort of, I come in on the level of like technical evaluation, um, we're often sort of vetting projects. We have various connections to, uh, we have sort of a network of VCs, so sometimes we help projects get funding. Um, so it's often like technical vetting, often just sort of, you know, 
explaining to people what their ideas are and why they make no sense, unfortunately. There's a lot of work on the same time. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, sometimes like more actual hands-on technical implementation um, and sort of on the side, we're working on various internal, uh, really just two, mostly one, but internal applications that um, one of them is kind of a web application that has a component that's on, um, has a sort of smart contract component on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm working on, working on another um, uh, sort of a blockchain implementation that I want to be more of an educational tool for developers who are interested in getting into sort of a simple tutorial approach of learning about the basics. Um, so uh, yeah, so there's all that. And then um, and then, like you said, on top of that, we have this blog, um, Abacus Crypto Journal, uh, where we write about all sorts of things in the space. Um, the stuff I write about is sort of more geared towards the technical end of things, I would say. But mm -hmm. um, I end up covering various other levels as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess like my general focus is yeah, the technical level and also just trying to um, trying to explain the technical fundamentals in a way that, you know, more and more people can understand. Because, um, as you know, there's still uh, a lot of basic misconceptions are abound in this space. So I like to think I can, you know, try to do the little bit I can to help rectify that. Yeah. And I have to, I have to admit, like, I really love, like, because it's so hard to find, like, that middle ground between something that's deeply technical and mm. something that uh, can translate to the average person. And I really loved both of your articles on that because I'm not a developer myself. Like I can, I can uh, traverse Git, and I can you know do <laughs> I can do the command line, and you know like I'm I'm probably eighty percent of the basic Linux admin stuff. But um, I I'm not a developer, so like I'm constantly trying to parse out like the details and figure stuff out. So. I really appreciated having somebody who could link specifically to this is on GitHub, like when they changed it and all that stuff. The time mm. drift stuff was really cracking me up um, <laughs> with, uh, with Verge. But what did that, you, you sent me a message uh, showing me, what did that actually end up as? Was that back to two hours at the end of that? So ultimately, um, after the second hack, ultimately they did revert it back again to 10 minutes. Um, okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, just to briefly recap there, sort of um, one of the fundamental pieces of what made the hack possible was that they had inherited this constant from Peercoin's code, mm -hmm. which they had incorporated, um, that had the allowed time drift of their blocks to be two hours, which was far too big for their other constants. It just didn't make sense. Um, and, yeah, there was this weird sequence of events where they kind of, after the first hack, they changed it, um, tried a few times to change it. It was, uh, it got a little messy, let's just say. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then it was this weird thing where ultimately the result of it was it stayed at two hours. Um, and then finally after the second hack, they ended up reverting it back to 10 minutes. So yeah, it is it is back down to 10 minutes. Um, and yeah, we can get into the details more of what, um, in case anyone's listening and uh, has no idea what I'm talking about, we can, we can unpack that a little more. But I will just say on that point, because you brought it up, um, you know, I did, yeah, like there was that in, in, in the second piece I did on Verge, there was um, that section where I really like, got nitpicky about their specific commits and the silly mistakes they made. And mm -hmm. part of me hesitated to leave that in. I sort of had an internal debate because on the one hand, as a developer, you know, as a developer, I sympathize with making stupid mistakes. Yeah. I've certainly done it, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've pushed really dumb, simple mistakes up to production. I know the situation of, you know, being out on a date and getting that scary text message or <laughs> Slack message of like, why are all why are our users all freaking out and having to like find Wi-Fi, you know? And um, so it's, it's only human, it happens. But the difference is, you know, in, in those situations that I'm thinking of for myself, where like, sure, I've made stupid mistakes, it wasn't on a project that, you know, is being, is being valued at, I think at the time, at, at one point when I first started writing about Verge, I think it was over a billion. I think now it's in yeah. the hundreds of millions. Yeah, it was um, real serious yeah. there for a bit. And I was just, I, I couldn't even... I was having a hard time trying to wrap my, round, my head around why it was anything useful because they they kind of uh, uh, sell this thing as like a privacy coin, but it just sounds like they put Tor in the client and not a whole lot else. Um, I actually talked on the Slack channel way back when I was first introduced to Verge um, with one of the developers about, hmm. um, you know, it's like, you know, what else, like what kind of blockchain level obfuscation, you know, is in this? And he basically said, it's like, oh, well, no, we don't think that's important because, you know, you want to be able to prove a receipt of a transaction. I was like, well, 
it's kind of the point of the privacy coin. Like everybody, anybody who does yeah. a transaction has their own receipt. The idea is that you don't want everyone in the world to see your receipts. But <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's it's one of the weird levels to this to like all this. You know, obviously, I've gotten sort of sucked into this uh, just sort of. Uh, you know, the technical details around mm -hmm. this hack and the discussions around it. And it's like, as we're discussing this, this is a privacy coin. And here we are talking about the balances of various addresses. Um, <laughs> so that's a, yeah, that's a level I didn't even go into in those things. It doesn't yeah. directly have to do with the hack. And I, I was worried, yeah, it got a little, you know, there was sort of enough on the table anyway. But, but yeah, like you said, I mean, their, their main notion of privacy is um, the actual broadcasting of these transactions and of these blocks kind of, yeah, follows this onion routing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that's that's cool and that's level of obfuscation, but but it's obviously it seems to me the most important one is you have this blockchain and the data is all public and there are tools, you know, and uh, projects like Monero and Zcash, which um, I'm very much interested in those too. Um, there are, you know, some really interesting ideas of how to help obfuscate those things. And there are a few, this is, again, this is something I didn't dig into, so I should just throw in that caveat where I'm not... Um, you know, I might say something slightly off about Verge in particular, but yeah. there's a few things that tried to incorporate, like stealth addresses and things like that. Um, even those, I'm afraid to say, they incorporated pretty sloppily. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, th the fact is you can still pretty much examine the blockchain data, uh, see balances, see where transactions are going, you know, to and from. So, yeah, it is a very limited and weird notion of privacy. Um, but... Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, even with all that said, as far as um, as far as that particularly nitpicky section, yeah. I think like ultimately, yeah, it was just certainly when I wrote that second one, it was it was just getting a little bit more infuriating how reckless and careless they were being. And I just had this feeling of like this needs to this project and various other projects like this that are again, I mean, they're you know, they're they're being valued very high. They're encouraging other people to use it as to store their value. They're encouraging merchants to use it. And. You know, it's important to remember that cryptocurrency itself is a very bold, audacious claim. You're not yeah. you're not just saying this is a new type of payment system. You're actually saying use our new monetary system. And so if we're going to take that seriously, then, yeah, this this level of carelessness needs to be called out. And, yeah, they just I felt like they need a bit of a smack. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, Accountability my, my, is uh, quite the serious issue yeah. in this space, particularly yeah. right now at such an early stage. Um, early and, you know, stage. Just for yeah, anybody ahead. listening, just because I didn't actually caveat any of this, um, the two articles are The Verge Hack Explained and Let's Do the Time Warp Again, Part Do. And uh, it's on the Abacus Crypto Journal, which you can get at blog.theabacus.io. And the two episodes where I actually read them are 76 and 94. Um, so obviously you can definitely go check out the Abacus Crypto Journal because there's some really cool stuff up here and I'm really enjoying it. I've got it in my list of things to constantly watch for new stuff. So I really appreciate you guys doing that. It, it looks like a really cool thing. Great. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it, it was sort of a weird thing because even, I mean, having, having, having said all that, I should also just say when I first wrote that first piece, I didn't really... Um, you know, it was never my goal starting out to become like the anti, you know, the Verge Antichrist <laughs> or something. Um, I didn't. I wasn't really in, even interested in them. Um, I when I first read about the hack, I had heard of Verge, but I didn't. Uh, it sounds like you even knew more about it than I did. I, I knew it was. I knew there was a currency called Verge, mm -hmm. and I knew that there was some privacy component there. And you know, I just seen the name in various places, seen it listed on Coin Market Cap and so on. Um, mm -hmm. But I was really interested in the details of the hack itself. Um, because, you know, as someone who, who follows cryptocurrency and is in the space and cares about it, when you hear about a protocol level hack, that's that always raises your eyebrows because yeah. you wonder, you know, you know, how is that possible? Right. Like we're used to exchange hacks, of course, we're used to people being reckless with their private keys uh, or even not being reckless, but, you know, being hacked and things like that. But um, this was this was more fundamental. And the way it was being reported, which was as you know, people were saying it was a 51 percent attack, but they were also saying that whoever did this dominated the network for like many hours at a time and they were able to mine blocks faster than what was allowed it didn't really mm -hmm. add up like i figured there was something here that wasn't just a 51 percent attack and um a lot of the journalism in this space is still still a bit sloppy as well so I, I had a feeling there was more going on and yeah it was really just the details of the hack itself that i just found really interesting and i thought this is something um again just as a as a sort of avenue in to help um to help elucidate some of the aspects of how this stuff really works um sometimes you know ways it can go wrong is a good a good angle um yeah so, uh, yeah, so that, that was my main interest. I, even in that first piece, there was, you know, I did definitely take a few digs at them, um, if, if I recall. But um, it was really as it played out and then, you know, 
uh, the second hack happened and I was writing a follow-up. It just, I became a little bit more, you know, your patience can wear thin with this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think you were much more diplomatic about it in the Verge hack. And there's this constant yeah. balance between, you know, like, like, I think this is stupid. Should I just say this is stupid? Or should I be like, all right, I know everybody, you know, we all have problems and I've been there and I've done and said stupid things in the past, but holy crap, right. guys, what are you doing? Um, and the, yeah, exactly. the second one was exactly. a little bit more apologetic. And honestly, I think a lot of times the more apologetic sometimes, as long as you backtrack and correct mistakes, if, you know, if they're made, sometimes mm -hmm. that goes just being honest about, you know, opinions works just as well. I think so. so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I will say even in, in the first piece, despite the fact that, uh, yeah, you know, there are, there are a few digs there and certainly it doesn't make them look good. I will say in the, it's only fair in defense of the, uh, I think the Verge fam is what they mm -hmm. call themselves. Um, <laughs> they, the feed, I mean, the feedback generally, you know, that, that, that first one got some attention. The feedback was generally very positive. And even from them, they seem to appreciate the fact that, you know, it was, at least for the crypto space, it was on the diplomatic side, as you said. So cool, um, cool. that's good. Um, there was only, you know, I got a bit of, you know, a few comments, you know, throwing, you know, accusing me of, oh, I'm just spreading FUD and things like that. I did see that, but that was the minority. You know, they they yeah. were mostly uh, happy to see it. So it's only cool. fair to throw that in as well. Yeah. yeah. At least they, at least they're not. Um, uh, they're, they're definitely some of these communities can get unbelievably angry. Um, and mm -hmm. attacking over anybody who points out flaws or even minor issues. So that's, that's a yeah. good thing. That's a good thing. Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a, there was this great piece. I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you read it. I, I could even see this me being, uh, uh, maybe one that you covered at one point. Um, mm -hmm. but it was called, it was a while back. It was something, it was called something like the blockchain man. Um, the and it was, uh, I don't know this. Yeah, right, look look this. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was, um, it was, you know, semi tongue in cheek, but not entirely a sort of outlining this new, just like what it's like for somebody who, uh, you know, is a developer in the blockchain space, the sort of new economic models for ways of making money in terms of, you know, uh -huh. doing the sort of pseudo, uh, uh, pseudo freelance work, taking pay and tokens, things like that. And just this like, Sort of again, the, the tongue in cheek part is almost like outlining this new, this new type of person, the, like this new type of modern person. Um, yeah. But anyway, the reason I bring it up is that there's this great section that I often think about called something like uh, protocolism is the new tribalism, you know, um, sort <laughs> of. Oh, I like that. Yeah, sort of, sort of going into what you're talking about there, and um, and yeah, it's 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 frustrating to see it. It's frustrating to see these these communities that are yeah just unwilling to take criticism and just sort of slinging mud at anyone who's against them. But it's interesting to think about how you know, it sort of makes sense that it would develop this way because if what we're talking about is is currency, you know, uh, which, you know, whether we should call this stuff currency or digital commodities, digital assets, I don't know, but, you know, it's a it functions similar to currency, right? These are things of monetary value, let's say, and you sort of, on a fundamental level, you need a network effect for it to work, right? So you sort of yeah. do need this tribal component. <laughs> no, I don't wanna say tribal, but you need, you know, you need people to believe in it. Um, it is sort of the circular thing. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, it almost makes me think that in its natural state, cryptocurrencies will have these, uh, these kind of tribalistic elements to them. And yeah, I, I think it's important to kind of counterbalance that and push back and provide accountability. And yeah, I mean, you need, you need, you need healthy criticism, you need good discourse. So uh, I think it's, it's going to be a problem that'll persist in the, in the cryptocurrency world. It's sort of inevitable. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree in that sense. I, I'm looking at it, it says protocolism is the new nationalism. I found it real quick. There it we was go. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, on ribbonfarm.com. But yes, uh, yeah. it's so true because I think, I think there's something like deeply real about like the narratives that we tell, like as far as like a perspective, particularly if you're looking at a decentralized project to give it a direction and like a cohesive um, sense of what it is, because, you know, that's, that's any definition of a decentralized thing is just that it's a narrative that we tell for what we want it to be in the future, but mm. it can so quickly get out of hand and turn into just love for my protocol above all other protocols <laughs> right right um sense of nationalism in that way yeah something something like nationalism um, um i'm curious i mean from what i've heard um you know i've been listening to your show and i've been enjoying it and by the way e even when i don't you know have time to listen to a full episode 
Um, I always check to see what articles you're covering because I know if it's something I haven't heard of, I should, I should check it out. So um, I, I really like your approach in terms of what you value in terms of, uh, and I'm not just saying that because you've reviewed my articles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I'm curious. I mean, you, you seem to lean in the direction of Bitcoin maximalism. Um, mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself, do you, do you sort of self-identify as a Bitcoin maximalist, or is that is that too strong for your views? Um, I'm kind of more of a uh, Bitcoin eighty twentyist. Like, okay. uh, I I am in a sense a Bitcoin maximalist because, like, as a, as a protocol, I think the idea is to figure out how to securely achieve consensus, and mm. Anything outside of that, trying to redo that over and over again with new nodes and new infrastructure just to have an additional token feels incredibly redundant to me. Like uh, Mm -hmm. an analogy Mm -hmm. I've used, I think, in one of my articles, but I've used on Twitter before was that it's like when, you know, we've got Toyota cars and then we've got Honda as a separate brand. It's yes, we have different cars, but we don't have different gas stations. You know, you don't have to right. go to a Toyota <laughs> gas station. The infrastructure is the same. It's the same roads. It's the same gas stations. But then we can experiment and do whatever we want with the cars, the type of vehicle, whether it be big or small, and all these other things. And so I kind of see the consensus protocol being more accomplishing that task and anything else that needs to be done, even if it's a payment layer, a security token, anything like this makes it like... All, as soon as you can achieve some sort of global consensus, well, then you can base that off as a foundation to build whatever skyscraper mm. you want on top of it. But I'm not completely, despite the fact that that seems to be what makes most sense to me right now, I am not 100% sold that there is nothing else there. We do have multiple right, right. communication protocols um, just on the internet, even though TCPIP vastly dominates. Um, it's certainly not the only one. So, I don't know, the network effect, money, the economics is different. So I can't, I think I would be way, way overly arrogant to say that this is definitely the way it is. And there's no other way that it could end up. So I just kind of sit right there at that 80-20 is I'm open to new ideas. But for the most part, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that you know, I wouldn't. Uh, I found myself like I definitely wouldn't go as strong as eighty twenty, I guess. But I've more and more been swayed by the, um, swayed by the argument that if not if not entirely Bitcoin maximalist, but that there's really going to be at most a select few survivors mm-hmm. in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do ultimately, yeah, Bitcoin. If I like truly had to bid on one, I would put Bitcoin at the top. And um, um, even though there's others that you know, I think have. I think there's like a number of at least different enough use cases and there's different enough experimentations with the possibilities that like there might be room for another, you know, so I also don't go full maximalism, but yeah, but I think, um, yeah, largely for the reason you're saying is that, you know, I think the way you put it as well, that ultimately what, what, what we're talking about here and what matters is the consensus mechanism. And I always like to tell people that don't understand this, that, you know, the fundamental thing that blockchain offers is, is sort of, um, is disintermediation, right? Yeah. Um, which is yeah. just you know sort of another way of talking about that consensus, right? Um, mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, I mean, so like, I mean, first of all, you look at these like a lot of these altcoins literally don't offer that. <laughs> you, know? um, <laughs> in other words, you just see that a lot of them, you just sort of poke a little at the surface, and they're just kind of it's a lot of smoke and mirrors above something that is essentially centralized. And I don't think there's any future. Uh, you know, I don't want to be too absolute because a lot of crazy things can happen. But I really think. A lot of those projects, once that gets more and more revealed and known, and once people see the problems with that, those will sort of get weeded out. Um, um, but in terms of, yeah, in terms of something like Bitcoin, it's um, it still is the one that's doing the best job of offering that. And on top of that, and part of because of it, I actually do. I've been more swayed by this idea that, um, again, this network effect thing really does matter. And as you're saying, the sort of narrative involved in a project really does matter for these, um, and it matters in a way that you know. People too often make analogies between, I think too often they make analogies between sort of cryptocurrency projects and, you know, startups and private companies and things like that. Yeah. Um, and just sort of products in the wild. Um, there are analogies to be made, but I think, you know, if you compare the 
sort of the significance of network effect in Bitcoin to the significance of network effects in Google, let's say, right? So part of the, you mm-hmm. know, I use Google. Um, I've been trying to use it less, honestly, because I'm not thrilled about what they're doing with everyone's <laughs> data, but uh, I, I still end up using it. Um, uh, you know, the reason I started using Google is because I knew people who used it, right? And that's true yeah. of most people. So there's a sort of social proof element. But yeah, that endless, that endless trade-off. It's like I don't even, I don't want to use Skype. Not a big fan of Microsoft, but mm-hmm. it's the but one that's <laughs> easiest for everybody to jump on quickly. To yeah, here we are right. on Skype. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so like, of course, that's real with any product, and that matters. But again, it's 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 important in a more fundamental way when what we're talking about is these these assets, these instruments that, you know, that we want to have and retain monetary value where ultimately for, for currencies, you know, they, they have value to the extent that other people are willing to acknowledge it at such, right? That's, that, mm-hmm. that's how these things work. So um, you have to sort of understand that you're not just talking about the old school version of network effect of, yeah, we like this because more people are using this product. It's, um, it's sort of built into the nature of, of, of monetary systems. So there is, I, I think there is a world and, yeah, I always hesitate to make predictions, but I can see where just because even if all Bitcoin had was the first mover advantage, and it has much more than that, but even just that and the fact that it's built this network, and it's still the case that if you talk to the average person about cryptocurrency, they know Bitcoin, you know, yeah. uh, maybe they've heard of Ethereum at this point, but like they still associate it with Bitcoin. And that that really does matter a lot. So more and more, I'm swayed by the idea that, yeah, it's it's the it's the narrative that Bitcoin has, which I think is a strong one. And we can get into the details there. It's It's the sense of community. It's the, the ethos of decentralization and just the fact that, you know, it has the biggest network and it's still winning, um, that, that in, in itself could, could carry it. So I'm, I'm still certainly not a Bitcoin maximalist, but I've, I've been, yeah, I've definitely been pulled, uh, by the, you know, that black hole force a little yeah. bit in that direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think, uh, what ended up, there was a point where I think I was far more open to the idea of, altcoins and uh, things of the things of the same nature um Mm -hmm. just because and i i really kind of went full force with that for some span of time that's when i first heard about verge actually and Mm. um particularly when these things were exploding but i just got exhausted like the the flood versus the signal to noise ratio Mm. was just so much different there that i i felt like i was going through hundreds of things and not being able to tell myself a good what i thought was a really good reason as to why it would actually succeed um Mm. and particularly why it was better or had some benefit that wasn't just like you know regularly things with just minor or partial benefits don't replace the old just because it's not it's not worth the headache to try to change and translate everything um it's like betamax versus vhs vhs had the greater network effect and Betamax was a little mm-hmm. bit better as a standard, but you know, maybe that's maybe that's old people talking. Wonder how many people <laughs> even know what Betamax is. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, I think you know, it's. I, I basically agree, and I, I think on some level, intuitively, intuitively, a lot of these projects have a sense of that because they all promise something different, you know. True. Um, so they they have at least some gut sense that like. There, we need to justify our existence in a world yeah. where we already have functioning cryptocurrencies. Um, but again, it's like, yeah, I mean, the, what I was in—I was in a similar place earlier. You know, for a while, you know, I, I learned about Bitcoin years ago, um, actually, from my friend David, who's now the, um, you know, one of the other co-founders of Abacus. Um, and and you know, so yeah, I, I was immediately fascinated, and like for a while, I was sort of following what was going on there. Um, and then, really, the way I got back into cryptocurrency more recently was he, once again, um, he tipped me off to Ethereum, um, and and it was really that's when I started really digging into the technical fundamentals of um, of both Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I bring that up because like it took me a while to get to the point where eventually I got to this point where it's okay. There's all these altcoins. People are saying there's going to be this big altcoin revolution, and like oh, you know, Bitcoin's old technology. It's yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like the dinosaur in this space, and there's just these like new, sexier things emerging that are gonna that are gonna like compete with it and maybe replace it. Um, and you just sort of kept hearing that, and I kind of just intuitively drank some of that Kool Aid, I think. But what like really started wearing me down was it was just like again and again these projects that just from a distance I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then once I take the time to really dig in, it was just one way or another, and there's all sorts of ways it can happen. There was just the 
the real bullshit factor got revealed. Um, <laughs> certainly not for all of them. I and mean, we can talk about the exceptions, but it was like, yeah, either the, the really frustrating one was just, you know, centralization once you just prod it a little bit. Um, and then all of these purported benefits of, oh, it has higher transaction per seconds than Bitcoin and it'll be faster and cheaper and no transaction fees. And it's, you know, you realize, yes, okay, you're just essentially centralizing it. That's not a, it's not a solution. Um, so it was that, it was what you're talking about where there just isn't really enough of a reason. It's just like a subtle, you know, a Bitcoin fork where you tweak one little, uh, one component of it and call it a different coin. And it's like, okay, it's not clear why this should even exist. Um, and then of course there's just, <laughs> and then of course there's just the outright scams. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, of those, um, or the things that are, people are talking about like it's this new thing, but it's really just a token that, uh, you know, it's a promise of a future platform that hasn't even been built yet. Um, so you go, okay, now we're just sort of accepting this on faith. Um, so it's just so many of these projects, it was just like, wow, you know, um, there's all this excitement around it, but there's just like, the emperor has no clothes, you know? So, um, so that swayed me more in this direction of like, yeah, I don't think we're just gonna have this huge tide of altcoins. I think there'll be uh, at most a select few, and I do think, I do think between, uh, you know, between smart contracts and between and privacy, um, there's room for use cases beyond just Bitcoin. You know, mm -hmm. um, it kind of comes down to those things. In fact, um, um, so those are yeah. I mean, I'm I'm still you know, I'm still interested and excited about Ethereum. I think there's really good potential there. Um, and like I said, you know, Monero, Zcash, uh, and then even a few things in the Ethereum ecosystem that are sort of, like I said at the moment, just, you know, they're built on these tokens and they're building things out. I sort of keep my eye on those. I think there's a world where there's sort of a, you know, internal economy there within Ethereum where there are, there are other assets that work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just like, it's a short list at this point. So, um, so that puts me a little closer to the Bitcoin maximalist camp, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think as time goes yeah. on, like that list slowly gets, slowly gets weeded down and hopefully we'll we'll get to the point where we can distinguish what's real from what's not you know yeah maturity yeah. takes time i guess <laughs> yeah i guess so I guess now so. you mentioned you said uh david is that david Boehner? um uh biner yes. okay david biner mm -hmm. um uh, he is mm -hmm. the uh, other one he and you he actually introduced you to ethereum he, yeah, yeah. So there's uh, three founders. It's me, David Biner, and Jason Stroll. Um, and I, yeah, I grew up with David. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, yeah. And and he he first. This was I think it was 2012 that he first hit me off to Bitcoin, and we just like he hit me off. I was like, it's almost. I, I feel like if I had footage or like an audio recording of our first conversation, it would almost be embarrassing how immediately I was just like, I'm on board. You know, um, <laughs> I was just so fascinated. <laughs> like, um, um, but yeah, we talked about it for like 24 hours straight, um, and I was Dude, just you sort and me of... both. That is ex that was exactly how oh, yeah. my introduction to it worked. My my brother actually um, uh, pointed me at it, and we were it was sometime in the late afternoon one night, and mm -hmm. we were completely shit faced at nine o'clock in the morning talking <laughs> about it. Still, it was like yeah. 13 or 14 hours later, and we were couldn't I couldn't stop. It was I was immediately down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 good to you know it's important to I find for me it's important like to remember that excitement and to remember the excitement on the fundamentals because especially I don't know more recently I've found myself focusing more on you know focusing more on the negative stuff in this space and again just trying to shoot down some of the bullshit and you know mm -hmm. help shine light on the bad projects but um, but yeah I mean th there is that once it sort of clicks with you at least how how kind of unprecedented this thing is and how just sort of a what a fascinating and brilliant idea, regardless of how it plays out, this, uh, this thing is, it's, yeah, you sort of immediately become obsessed. So, um, so yeah, so he had taken me off to Bitcoin. Um, obviously, unfortunately, when we all have these stories, unfortunately I didn't buy a lot that day, but, um, I did, end up, I, did I did end up getting some relatively soon. Not as much as, you know, if I could go back in time, I'd make different decisions, but, um, I'd have um so, you know, I had some and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm curious, when was it that you first, um, at least just like found out about Bitcoin? Um, I think it was, I, I constantly go back. I have not actually like specifically checked, but it was either late 2010 or very early 2011. Oh, okay. Was, so I think a little, little before me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it, it's funny, like you talk about how like we kind of forget like how quickly we can forget, you know, just eight years ago or six years ago when we, yeah. you know, first figured out about this thing. And now it's just kind of like the default. It's like, oh, well, of course this thing exists. And now it's <laughs> old and stupid and we're going to add smart contracts to it. Right. Like, like what of, 
like my excitement on like what a revolution it was to be able to mm. like maintain it's it, it was like I've always thought of these protocols like in just like kind of Bitcoin in general, like and how they grow and like their network effect more as a language. And mm. it's it's one that's scalable to not in the sense of like transactions. Like I think all that has a problem in, you know, in itself, mm. like that's just a technical engineering challenge. But in the mm. context of like an independent form of money is that it can scale to the whole world. Like it doesn't. Like, like the fact that we have barriers like language barriers or cultural barriers is not really a problem in Bitcoin. It's uh, I love that one. Uh, it's one of the right. few that I've read of uh, Zabo's um, about social scalability, um, yeah. his essay on that. And I absolutely love it. When I first read that, I was like, damn, this is awesome because it was finally articulating things that I was thinking, but I could not, I could not figure out why it was the impression that I had, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I yeah. absolutely love it. That, that essay is, 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 is completely mind blowing. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of his, of his writing. Um, and I, I assume most people who are in the crypto space know about him and, and yeah. read his blog, but if you don't, it's, it's, uh, you know, I often like send that to people, you know, everyone, you know, people often ask like, what's a, what's, what's a good place to start for understanding this stuff. And it's hard to give a clear answer because there's kind of a lot of different levels you have to be able to understand things at, but I often send, his stuff because it kind of he really gets at the fundamentals of what makes this stuff uh, truly different and unprecedented. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I love that essay too. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, so I was I was I don't know I was sort of following things uh, not nearly as closely as I do now, but I was you know would sort of keep an eye on the space and then somewhere along the line you know after the after the Mount Gox fiasco and as excitement generally kind of waned, I, I sort of faded out of things. But it was. Um, yeah, it was it was from David. He, you know, he was um, he had been somehow he found out about Ethereum and he had been reading about that and he tipped me off to that. And again, you know, since he's the one who tipped me off to Bitcoin, you know, I definitely, you know, I'm I'm very predisposed to listen to him when he when he tells me I should look into <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, that it would um, sort of starting to grasp how something like that could work and how you could have something that. Um, just how you could sort of have this consensus mechanism um, that was decentralized, that you could have this decentralized sort of state transition mechanism, let's say, um, but have it be programmable and actually upload code and have it kind of still maintain that basic infrastructure. It was it was a real, that was definitely another sort of turning point for me in just understanding what's possible with this stuff. And I just mm -hmm. found that very intriguing. Um, and that, yeah, that inspired me to sort of dig deeper into Bitcoin as well. Um, but um yeah, and that's where that's where the real like obsession started for me was that. Uh, so that was yeah again about probably about a year and a half ago. Um, and um, yeah, it's an easy thing to be obsessed with because, like I said, there's just so many. You kind of have to you have to take this interdisciplinary approach, right? It's um, yeah. even though I focus on the tech, it's even focusing on the tech is almost a miss. Like it's it's, it's sort of a misnomer because you can't really talk about the tech without talking about the, the notion of like game theoretical incentives, you know. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And, and even the, as you're saying, this notion of social of like social scalability and sort of removing the sort of localized human element to the decision making process, or at least like very much minimizing that. Um, mm -hmm. So you end up kind of getting into social theory and even like political theory in terms of this like this philosophical notion of governance and power. There's really interesting debates happening there. Um, and then of course just like you know uh, just understanding the world of investing and markets and things like that, which is something I'm still kind of an amateur in, um, but I'm finding it interesting to get this little taste of it. Um, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it becomes an easy thing to be obsessed with because it's just sort of, uh, uh, you kind of have to fire on all these different cylinders. Um, and that's, that's again, that's, that's, that's one thing I like about um, um, just sort of hearing your approach and the sorts of things you're willing to cover is you seem to have a sense of like, yeah, you kind of have to, you know, you do some like pretty wonky technical stuff on your show, but also some of the more uh, yeah, the more social theoretical stuff, and um, uh, yeah, I think that just makes this stuff fun. Yeah, um, that's that's what that's what is always the fact that it is so like you have to take such an interdisciplinary approach to it. Um, mm -hmm. Because I was uh, oddly enough, I was actually um, I've always been a bit of a you know tech, excuse me a tech nerd, and mm -hmm. um, uh, thought about. Um, 
majoring in computer science and almost double majored just because it was always something that interested me. But I never really found, despite the fact that I thought the internet was like hugely impactful, like I never really had the passion or the motivation to build something like, like coding mm. just seemed so tedious to me. Um, <laughs> and my love at the time was film and storytelling. Um, so I ended up going that route with all of my schooling and, uh, but it wasn't until Bitcoin and I had become an Austrian economics nerd. Um, not too long after I basically just after I got out of college, I found economics and, uh, uh, and that's kind of, so I was in those two worlds is like, okay. uh, tech and economics was really what led me. Economics was the, the real core of it when I first learned about Bitcoin and mm -hmm. then game theory, I was, I just got exposed to that just after, you know, Bitcoin and stuff and just going down that rabbit hole, the four or five, like seemingly separate topics that are so integral to making Bitcoin succeed was just fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the economic stuff, and I've always had sort of, um, I've never studied it that seriously, but I've always sort of had a passing interest in economics generally and always known I wanted to dig deeper. Um, and I think that's been, that's been one of the really fun things is just being able to uh, better understand economic theory in general because you're kind of, I mean, one thing that happens when you, you know, when you tell people you're doing anything in the cryptocurrency space, uh, this was especially early on. You don't get this much anymore, but early on you get these very, um, I don't want to say naive because that's the wrong word, but just very like basic questions, but not bad questions of, mm -hmm. you know, of, you know, like, okay, you know, you know, things like how can you have a currency that isn't sort of, uh, backed and ordained by a government, you know, and how can yeah. something that is, has, has nothing physical have value. And it's, even though, you know, if you're someone in this space, you're kind of like, sick of having to justify it on that basic level perhaps, but those, those aren't bad questions. And I, I found that even though I had answers to them, the more I dug in, I realized how much about money itself I actually didn't understand, um, mm -hmm. which is an amazing thing to realize because we all, you know, we all work for money and we all need it. But like there's, there's basic questions that are, that are, that are tricky. And it, you know, so you have to kind of reassess your basic assumptions. Um, and that's another thing that Nick Sabo, um, does as good of a job as anybody, including like, you know, the big Austrian economic theorist that I'm sure you're very familiar with. Um, yeah. But in terms of outlining monetary theory, the notion of money, the notion of currency, and sort of the blurry line between what we consider a commodity and a money and jewelry, um, a collectible, um, he has great essays on, on sort of the history of that, and kind of coming at it from an Austrian economics perspective, but also, also challenging some of those assumptions. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, anyway, sort of. Yeah, sort of definitely. Bit, yeah. I've definitely got his stuff on, particularly around that, because I've read a lot of it. Well, I say a lot. He's got an ocean of stuff oh. on his blog. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've read some of it, and but I got a lot of it lined up, hopefully to get mm -hmm. to eventually in the podcast. So I've always got that that one huge page of bookmarks that's nothing but Zabo to <laughs> jump <laughs> okay. back on. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I uh, think one other thing that um, has that I've learned and had a, I think a more, a better perspective on as time has gone on is how unbelievably fragile it can all be, um, with mm. like, which is a great thing that you point out in the verge articles is just something as simple as a time drift, uh, metric, uh, can, cause such a huge problem and i had always taken for granted that like okay well yeah maybe you know five algorithms is better than one because <laughs> you know you've got five different like competitive hardware markets to to decentralize over so i would see these new coins like myriad and verge and the ones that mm -hmm. would take that approach and i would just immediately just kind of take for granted it's like oh well that that could probably work and then to see what a disaster it can be just to get two or three tiny little elements wrong or out of balance and have the whole thing just kind of stop working. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was the same way when I first read about projects that use multiple mining algorithms. I remember thinking like that's, that's, that seems like a worthy experiment. The idea that, okay, we have like, instead of just one mining economy, there's multiple ones and that'll help with decentralization. Like it seemed like, yeah, like that, that seems worth trying. Mm -hmm. What's, what's interesting about it. And this is sort of, you know, this is just sort of like the way you have to think in the world of cybersecurity is in the case of verge, 
in some sense, it's not so much that having multiple mining algorithms was what, you know, that, uh, I don't know how you, how you would even phrase this. It's not that that was directly hacked. Um, it's more that because of that, a different vulnerability was now amplified, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. So in other words, when, so in the world of cybersecurity, you, you, you sort of, it's important to not just go, okay, we have this great system, that's going to work, uh, so we're good. You have to say, we have this great system, that can't be hacked, that's going to work. But what happens if it does go wrong? You know, how bad would that be? And so in this case, it's like what, what happened with five mining algorithms was if somebody can, you know, if somebody finds a way to sort of hack difficulty adjustment, basically, and you say, okay, well, no one can do that. It's perfect. It's great. Yes, perfect. It's great. Fine. But let's say they can. <laughs> you know, um, If they can, how bad would that really be? And essentially what happens with five mining algorithms is it becomes something like five times worse. Actually, it becomes at least five times worse. How about that? Um, it actually is even worse than that. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting thing to realize that, you know, these attack vectors can, can sneak in. Um, um, and, and, yeah, I mean, to your point, what it comes down to is that that is, in this space, it does come down to this argument for, uh, you know, don't tweak things unless you really need to, you know, because um, even, even a small thing can make things go, go very wrong. Uh, it, does, it does put an argument on that side of, the, um, of that debate, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, um, I'm curious, though, because, you know, um, um, going back to Ethereum, which you brought up, and we sort of got sidetra uh, mm -hmm. sidetracked, as, a, as an 80-20 Bitcoin maximalist, let's say, um, let, me, let, me, let me just run this by you. Because on that, on that topic, Ethereum definitely is more on the side of, you know, move fast and break things, experiment, you know, try new mm -hmm. things. Um, and that's one of the things that get criticized for by the, by the sort of Bitcoin crowd. Um, now, I... My feeling about it is sort of this, like the way that things have played out um, in terms of like Bitcoin core, especially since the big Bitcoin cash core hard fork um, there, you know, so like, OK, we saw the civil war play out. And uh, one of the nice things about a civil war, not that civil wars are nice, but the nice <laughs> thing is now it becomes, it becomes very clear what both sides believe. Right. It yeah. kind of forces the sides to codify their beliefs. And I think what's sort of settled is that Bitcoin core. Um, they see this more on the line of digital gold. Let's say, is that is that fair to say um, that like this is? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, does that does that resonate with you? Before I, go I think on? I think that's I think that's fair. Um, the it's it's a little hard to say. I think that's more of a talking point versus mm. just because it's easy to sum it up that way. In my personal perspective, I see it as a defensible independent monetary policy and gold the purpose of gold was to achieve that but i think bitcoin actually does it better and particularly i think um well i, mean, I, I say i say does it better um it's it's really hard to say because bitcoin does have an obvious attack vector regardless of um like in the in the sense of a 51 percent attack but that's not necessarily that's not necessarily an attack on its monetary policy. So sure, sure, yeah. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll just we'll just sum that up with yes. Let's let's call it digital gold. Yeah, and I guess I mean yeah. I mean we could sort of quibble about. Yeah, yeah. And I think you would. I, th I think you would agree that even um, you know there's things gold will always do better. Maybe well, I won't want to say always, but you, you could sort of compare and contrast them. Mm -hmm. There's ways that Bitcoin is actually definitely better. Um, um, but maybe there's, you know, but I, I guess when I say digital gold, it's more of a sense of what's most important here is that this thing, oh, that we really want this thing to maintain its core properties, let's just yes. say. Um, yes. We want it. And, and if we can do that and we have this thing that, you know, it becomes, like, it becomes an actual digital asset where we can think of it as a physical asset. Um, you truly own it if you own it. You're not dependent on other parties. Um, uh, it's absolutely, you know, it's secure as all hell. You're not going to, um, and... Um, and then, like, because of that, that's most that's fundamentally what's important. And because of that, um, like gold, it'll be a good store of value that appreciates over time. Mm -hmm. um, and then, that's more important, for example, than really, really high transactions per second right now. Um, um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of things I'm saying that you would, you know, you would sort of, um, you would um, have some issue with and quibble with. But um, if we just sort of grant that the, the the Bitcoin core philosophy is something like that, mm -hmm. so it's like they're kind of filling that role. And in that role, by the way, I don't think there's even a close second. You know, yeah. um, 
I honestly, like, I'm thinking right now, I don't know. There, there isn't even anyone really claiming, like, we will be the competitive. Because I think everyone just kind of knows Bitcoin has that cornered. Um, mm -hmm. It's a bit of an exaggeration, but I don't think it's much. Um, um, now, so here's the thing, right? So with Ethereum, on the other hand, you have, you know, the core value proposition is this idea that this can function as this kind of smart money, right? That's incorporated into distributed applications and smart contracts and so on. Mm -hmm. um, that's the idea that it's the, it's the sort of, uh, it's the fuel for this, this digital application. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, you know, decentralized distributed application world. Um, now we could, you know, we could, we could quibble about whether, you know, there is really a big market for that or whether that'll take off. And we might slightly disagree on that, but even, even putting that aside, let's just say that like, if we grant that that's their value proposition, right? So what that means is Ethereum has to function more of a utility as far as this like utility store of value dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Um, it's sort of inherent to Ethereum that, okay, if this is going to work, it has to function as a utility, which is why, like, if you, if you look at Ethereum that way, you would say the technology is, you know, still very, very far from being able to handle that. And I would say to all the Ethereum critics out there, in defense of Ethereum, the people involved are the first to admit that. You know, if you look at, listen to Vitalik, listen to Vlad Zemfir, they can't, like, they're saying, like, no, the technology is, like, almost useless right now, and you shouldn't use it for anything important. And... Um, and I guess what I'm getting at is, given that that's the nature of it, given that utility is fundamentally important, utility in the sense of, again, you know, high throughput, transactions per second, low fees, things like that, it sort of makes sense that, okay, this technology has to radically improve for this to work. So, you know, that justifies us trying some pretty bold radical experiments uh, in, in the sense of, you know, rolling out uh, Casper, the proof of stake framework, uh, sharding, uh, plasma sidechain, which are sort of second layer, um, but sort of not. Um, so I look at those things and I think these are, there's some brilliant ideas in there. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they're, like, they're brilliant in the way that this is ab they're absolutely worth trying. And there's a world where this could be a real game changer for the cryptocurrency world. I also recognize it's a huge risk. There's all sorts of ways things could go wrong and it could be the biggest disaster in cryptocurrency. But <laughs> I like that they're doing it, and I like that they're experimenting with it, and I think that you can sort of justify um, this sort of bold experimentation because they really want to get us to the point where this can work as a you know utility style payment system. Um, that was a long rant, but how do you? What's your response to that? I'm I'm actually right there with you. I have nothing mm -hmm. against like I think experimenting in that way. My my only quote unquote issue with Ethereum is merely that I am deeply concerned about the longevity of the system. Um, and then with uh, probably the best way I heard it articulated was with um, the second stop and decrypt. Uh, uh, he did an article. Uh, yes. Uh, the on, second uh, one on about Ethereum on sharding. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talking about how the scripting language being Turing complete, that it's better described as Turing vulnerable. Um, <laughs> and I very much kind of take that perspective and that's a really simple way to explain it is that you just have a massive attack surface um, and they're constantly trying to rebuild restrictions to lower their attack surface for things that they're building on top of it. And I find it a little bit, I, I don't particularly agree with the approach that the blockchain itself, that the network needs to be executing the contracts. Like, mm -hmm. I think it makes more sense that these contracts are merely signed with keys that are being managed and ownership, um, like, you know, hashed or whatever to something on a blockchain to secure mm -hmm. it without, but having it like an extensible, you know, layer on top of it. But in that same sense, I love that the work is being done and I do keep up with a lot of what Ethereum is doing. I'm just... I see of it as more a, a, a test net almost in a sense, uh, mm. rather than rather than what may, it may end up being a long term project. You know, maybe like you say, some of this could succeed, and my idea of the approach is completely upside down. Um, and that's why I'm actually like a lot of people, particularly Bitcoin maximalists, absolutely hate Bcash um, or Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> I, I do call it Bcash, and I'm. I'm sorry, I don't really care. Um, uh, I don't mean it. I don't mean it as a, a an attack on it. It's just easier, and don't honestly, know. I kind of like I'm it. Not gonna, yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna flick you off and rage quit. Yeah, good. Um, no, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm basically. I think I'm. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm 
long story short, with you, with you and the Bitcoin maximalists mm-hmm. on their view of, of of Bitcoin Cash. But yeah, um, go on. Uh, but uh, with uh, Bcash in particular, is that I actually really appreciate. I think that fork was really healthy. Um, like I think it's actually great to have, and I constantly and I try to like extend olive branches when I'm debating with people about um, Bcash and like their approach. Is that like I'm totally okay with trying that perspective in fact those two narratives having like direct um uh platforms that are focused in those two ways i think is really important to prove rather than just scream at each other and say no i'm right you know like the Mm -hmm. two different perspectives um but uh and then there are a lot of there are a lot of things with bcash that maybe i i i are giant red flags for me outside of their perspective but just like Ethereum, I'm totally glad it's there to try these things out because I think, I mean, that's how, that's how markets find solutions to stuff anyway. They try a thousand things, 998 of them fail, and two of them succeed for two different reasons, you know? Sure. Like, that's sure. just yeah. how we evolve and move forward with this, and I don't think, I don't think there was a way to skip this step. <laughs> right, right, yeah, I think, and it was, it's sort of inevitable, right? It was yeah. just this, like, time bomb that had to, something I had to get at some point because, there was this fundamental disagreement, um, and I, I basically agree with you on on hard forks. I, I will say it's hard to hard forks are still like a very strange phenomenon in mm-hmm. this world, and I think it's hard to know exactly how to think about them. And I tend to be on the side of you know that's the nature of having an open decentralized system is it's you know it's sort of democracy in action, right? People can just do that, and we can decide which one to use. The market can decide how to value these things. Um, the, I guess, uh, I don't know, the, the, the troubling side of it is it's, you know, there is a, there is a, uh, how would, what would you say, there, there is sort of an in-protocol way um, to handle non-backwards compatible changes, right, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially like, you know, have this update go on and then, you know, see, you know, you demand on the miners essentially to decide which chain to mine on, Um we this is this gets a little bit into the weeds, which gets very subtle in the various different types of soft forks, hard forks, and everything in between. And, but um, it's sort of you know, part of me thinks a hard fork. You know, you could say it's democracy in action. You could also mm-hmm. say it's it's more like a it's more like a coup. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, or not a coup, or even a um, maybe a secession is a better way to put it. Right? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I like that. Which, that's a good that's a good terminology. I think. Yeah. And I think a secession now, again, a secession, it's like, you know, when you secede from a state, you're, you're sort of intentionally deciding we're going to violate the law. Um, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes there's good reasons to secede, you know, but it's, I guess, um, it should be seen as, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you can see, I'm still sort of, I'm not sure how to still think about how we still working it out, but part of me thinks it should be seen as like absolute last resort. You know, it's a bold move. Um, it's not actually violent, of course, which is great. Um, but it's like the closest we have to that. Mm-hmm. You're actually saying like, we're going to, just because you're actually taking the actual, you know, this current state of the blockchain with you, it's another thing entirely to start a new project, you know? Um, yeah. so it's like, we want to like discourage it as much as possible. Um, and we want to try to have it not go that way. But I agree. It's very clear when you sort of, when you look at how that whole thing played out, like this had to happen. And it's, I, I think it's ultimately a good thing, um, in terms of the, you know, the split between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Um, yeah. And yeah, as for as for the Turing complete thing, I like more and more I do. I'm inclined to I like reluctantly agree with what you're saying because um, <laughs> I think I think for me, just from a technical perspective, seeing that it was possible to have Turing completeness built in to a you know to a blockchain network was uh, you know that was very intriguing and very cool. And I thought it was it's it's a quite a brilliant way they have of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a certain point, especially, you know, like I said, I'm sort of, um, I'm building something that uses smart contracts. And what you sort of realize is like, what's the, what's the real benefit to have something be truly Turing complete when it seems like what we're seeing so far, and it kind of seems like this will continue, is there's, a, there's basically a handful of types of use cases that you want to use smart contracts for that you can kind of list. And how much flexibility do we need and how much do we really want? Because like yeah. you said, it does open yeah. factors. Um, and it's like, you know, multi-sig wallets, um, creating fungible assets, creating non-fungible assets. Now with non-fungible assets, there is, you know, there's flexibility you might want. There's different behavior you can program into that. Um, 
and then you have, you know, with distributed applications, it's, you know, the fact that we can have gaming logic execute on the blockchain, I could see being valuable for like games that involve gambling and things like that. Um, and it's like, okay, you want some flexibility there, but yeah, do we really need Turing completeness? Um, I guess I'm agnostic to that question, but I do, I do get the point that that's a big, it's a, it's a trade-off in what it introduces is, is, is all these vulnerabilities. So, so yeah, I don't know, maybe if smart contracts take off ultimately, whether that's Ethereum or somebody else that creates the platform that works, uh, what, what we will discover is Turing completeness was sort of, uh, an overrated innovation in this field, even though, yeah. again, I think the way they accomplished it is is quite brilliant. And I'm almost inclined to think that there's some, it's a good enough idea that maybe there's something in there that can be used, you know, that can apply in other places, as often happens in, you know, programming and computer science. But but yeah, I've, I've become more, more suspicious of that yeah. over time as well. And who yeah. knows, in two weeks, the whole thing could be upside down. Somebody could release something, have a black swan event in this stuff and it's just it changes so fast that you know i'll have to constantly reassess my position on it um yeah, inevitably yeah. so um, it's hard to keep up it's yeah. true yeah um yeah. well i actually think that's a really good spot to end um i just want to say thank you again for the uh, verge articles and the Abaca the abacus crypto journal i think y'all done some really cool stuff up there and i appreciate having it in a, as a resource um, and also thank you for being my guinea pig on the show here, uh, <laughs> my first run with this to, you know, see how it goes. And uh, I had a lot of fun. This was great. We should definitely do this. Again. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I appreciate the kind words and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I just saw that we did an hour and that, that certainly flew by. So <laughs> Yes, it did. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, anything else you want to add here at the end? Um, I nothing comes to mind. Like, I think you already you gave the site of our blog. Uh, you can find me at DZACT three on twitter um and uh yeah again just thanks for having me cool and i'll be sure to link and tag and do all that great stuff awesome all right man thanks for coming on take care later and that will close our crypto economy chat with daniel goldman uh another thank you for coming on the show i had a lot of fun working on this one and uh if anybody has any feedback i know there were some little issues with the audio um, I'm still trying to work that out I don't quite like the setup that we used but it worked for you know what we were trying to pull off so um, hopefully I'll uh, find a better solution in fact if anybody has any recommendations for software that will easily record like a Skype or uh, a Google Hangouts conversation uh, that would actually be wonderful because I'm having a hard time finding something that records both streams separately so that I can uh, finagle with the audio, cut background noise out of my side and or vice versa if it comes to it. So any recommendations on that would actually be hugely helpful. Thank you. Um, and of course, I will link to both articles and both episodes in which I read the articles uh, in the post. Uh, and tag Daniel Goldman in it as well. Uh, be sure to follow him if you want to keep up on all the work with Abacus and the uh, their blog, the Abacus Crypto Journal. Um, so uh, one last thing, if you would like to support the show, um, please, I actually just got another little donation the other day. Thank you for that. Um, uh, much appreciated. And uh, I'm also going to start uh, uh, using some affiliate links. Um, and I will go ahead and just make a promise. I'm not going to use affiliate links for uh, stuff that I don't personally, like, am not willing to actually pay for and use myself. I will only be promoting products that I actually think are awesome. Um, and with that, I will only, I will be uh, adding my affiliate link for Trezor. Um, if you guys do not have a hardware wallet and you have invested in Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency... I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it is absolutely the safest and most comfortable way to hold your Bitcoin. Um, and uh, I, I just, I can't urge enough that I have personally learned the hardest way possible what it's like to have a bad backup or a lost password or... Uh, a number of other ways that you can punish yourself by accident. Um, and it's really hard, particularly when you got in as early as I did, to see how much you could have had if you weren't stupid. So 
Uh, security is absolutely key. I absolutely recommend hardware wallets. So I'm going to have an affiliate link. If you would like to buy a Trezor or Trezor Model T, the new one that they have with the color screen. I've not used the new one yet, but it looks awesome. And I may actually get one just to try it out because that's why I got a number of the other uh, hardware wallets that I do have. Um, so, uh, but my favorite is still Trezor. So that's the one I'm putting my affiliate link for. Um, with that, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. And I'll catch you guys next time. This has been the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, everybody.